Nightlife with Philip Clark on ABC Radio. Well, parents know how to brace themselves for the onset of the teen years, but knowing that when their sweet child hit 14 or 15, they turn into a monster almost overnight. But of course, there's, uh, there's a whole new phase to contend with first, and that is the, uh, that is the tween phase. You might have heard of the term tween. Justin Bieber was one when he became famous. Yeah, I know one time Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber was only 12 when he shot to fame. I know. I know. Perhaps the most famous of all the pre-teen stars, of course, was Miley Cyrus in the hit show Hannah Montana. Yes, Miley, of course. Hannah Montana, the theme from the hit show for tweens. Every little girl wanted to be Hannah Montana at one point. I mean, my two did. I can tell you that for sure. Oh, actually, maybe not the older one, but the little one was certainly in the grip of Hannah Montana. So what is a tween? Is it what it, Well, it is what it says on the tin. It's a youngster between a child and a teenager. Pre-teens are really acting like teenagers in many respects. Everything from eye-rolling and back-chatting to the parents to more serious behaviours, such as, I know, texting photos, I know, vaping. I know, you don't think it would happen. does. It does. Uh, 11-year-olds, some of them sexed. I know, it's disturbing, isn't it? But it's also something that parents have to deal with. And many parents, I think, are left wondering what to do. This time in a child's life, after all, should be and used to be. Was it always a very happy and carefree and playful time? But how many 9 to 12-year-olds these days are struggling with a whole lot of things, like body issues and anxiety and a lack of confidence? You might think all this sounds like, yeah, that's the sort of stuff that teenagers get into. But tweens are definitely not teenagers, and this is one of the key messages of a new book called Tweens, What Kids Need Now Before the Teenage Years. I'm not suggesting, and I don't think my author is either, that all this applies to all kids of this age. But you know what? Modern life being what it is, probably more than you might think. So if if they shouldn't be treated as children or teenagers, what are parents to do? And if children are maturing earlier than they used to, a lot are. Not all of them, a lot are. And maybe you remember raising one once too. Was it always a struggle or do you think things have changed? I know in my own case with our, with our two girls, it all kind of creeps up on you in a way. They're tiny kids and joyous and all of that. I mean, they're always joyous, I thought, anyway, all the way through. Until, yeah, all of a sudden. I remember with my little one, I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying this to her because I've, she said it many times. She showed me a photo once of a boy jumping off a diving board and he's swimming shorts and said, look at that, Dad, look at that. And for the first time in my life, I thought, oh, it's happened. <laughs> She's suddenly seeing 
the opposite sex in another way. Anyway, joining us tonight is Michelle Mitchell, educator and author of Tweens, What Kids Need Now Before the Teenage Years. Michelle, good evening. Welcome to Nightlife. Hey, thanks for coming. That was the most incredible introduction. That You summarised that beautifully. <laughs> Why did you tell us about yourself? You were a primary school teacher for 25 years, so you've seen kids. I was actually not a primary school for, teacher for 25 years. I taught for four years, oh, and yeah. then I founded a charity which mm. went through the next 25 years. Worked a lot with tweens and teenagers, so I could see a really distinct difference between tweens and teens. I'd have mm. mums come into the foyer of my clinic um, and say, Michelle, I've got I've got a teenager on my hand and I'd look at this little person in question and mm. she had mascara-free eyes and I just wa- watched her walk hand in hand across the street with her mum and I thought, yeah, almost, but not quite, you know. <laughs> and the big characteristic that's different between teenagers and tweens is just this desire to be with us. It's togetherness. Mm. And they're still facing a lot of the big issues that teenagers are, but they want us by their side and that's the, the big win for parents. Mm. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I sort of think every generation's had a scare, you know, campaign about kids, haven't they? I mean, every generation says, look, you know, whether it was... When I was a kid, it was dress and, and, and hair length and, you know, things that just seem stupid now. But, uh, but at the time, of course, consumed everybody and everybody thought the whole generation was going to pot because their hair was too long and they didn't dress properly or, or something of that nature. Does every generation do it, do you think? Are we doing it again? Absolutely. The three everyday challenges that families had Mm. um, from the survey that I did, so 1,600 parents, the first one was self-esteem and confidence. That's universal. I think Mm. that's come through every generation. Next one is friendships and trouble-regulating emotions. And I think this generation of kids are particularly struggling with regulating their emotions. Mm. But on the side burner, there's these bubbling hot topics like you've talked about, the vaping and the self-harm, the sexualized behavior that, that principals and teachers and parents are really concerned about as well. So there's these everyday stock standard issues and then these kind of like hot topics that are living by the side that are touching a lot of families. Yeah, the sexualizing, I, I agree. I mean, that, I mean, in my experience with, you know, our daughters and their friends, you know, we saw a lot of young, young girls growing up, mm-hmm. you know, they grow up at different rates. And the, the amount of sexual imagery that they were, they were shown or that they were, you know, was, was shoved at them, wittingly and unwittingly in, in popular culture everywhere. A lot of it, I'm sure, went over their head and, sh- and sure, but because in my experience, of course, kids grow into this much more slowly than you think, and they're confronted with some pretty, you know, heavy-duty stuff early on. Yeah, and some of it just traumatises them, and then they yeah. hit this age when they're almost teenagers, and they start to say, Mum, when can I have a push-up bra? When can mm. I get my hair foiled? And you can see them reaching forward into that next stage. Mm. And they're idolising girls that are older than them. So we know our girls are developmentally about 18 months ahead of our boys. So yeah. a lot of our 10-year-old boys are like, I like Pokemon, and that's it. You know, Whereas our girls are maybe reaching forward that little bit more. Yeah, I think that's right. Matthew's on the line. Hi, Matthew. Oh, good morning, Philip. How are you, sir? Evening for you, but any, uh, is it morning? No, surely not. But anyway. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's evening. Yeah. Oh, it's, uh, it's still evening. Um, Philip, I forgot the name of your guest. Um, Michelle, is it Matt? Is the Michelle, name? Michelle, how are you? I'm really great. Lovely to hear your voice. Wonderful to hear you. A fascinating topic for a, a man sailing into his twilight years with a 10-year-old daughter. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
Love and, it. Uh, Tell us about the joy of this, Matthew. Oh, wonderful. Absolutely wonderful, Philip and mm. Michelle. Uh, it's just, it's a wonderful experience, and I couldn't agree with you more, Michelle. The challenges, especially in 2023, uh, uh, confronting. But, you know, uh, and, and I come from a uh, separated, which is standard practice these days. Uh, the nuclear family is the exception to the rule. Uh, but my, the lady I refer to affectionately as my former wife is a wonderful mother to our daughter. Uh, but I think parenting is paramount hmm. and to ensure. And I'm the father that my former wife goes, I'll call your father. Hmm. That's hmm. awesome. Yeah, that's yeah, great. It's wonderful. And, you know, it, it, she's, uh, and we see a lot of children and, we, and she goes to school and she's got a wonderful life. And you talk about hairstyles and so forth and what she does. It, it's just a joy to watch her grow up. But there are challenges, but it's, it's really at the forefront of people to parent uh, to ensure that their children... Uh, and one of the words I was thinking about when I was listening to the early conversation, and Philip, I've got to say, your articulation is off the chart with your introduction, as Michelle said. Um, but resilience... I teach my daughter resilience, that it's not all sunshine and rainbows. It's a beautiful world. There are dolphins, there are frogs, there's art, there's music, there's creativity, but it's sometimes challenging. I love that, um, Matthew. For yeah. me, have you, Matthew, just one thing before you go. Have you learned to braid hair yet, Matthew? Oh, I... <laughs> I'll leave you with I'll leave you with it. <laughs> Took me a while too. <laughs> Philip, I've got to say my dad was one of the biggest heroes in my life when mm. I was a tween. He championed me so much and helped mm. me find my strengths and I think the girls out there that are lucky enough to have dads like Matthew that are engaged and recognise the curious, playful, exploratory mm. side of them are just are just so um blessed in life. Mm. Do you think parents are having a harder time of it at this age than they used to? Parents really expressed feeling overwhelmed when mm. I surveyed them. And mm. I spoke to a lot of parents. So mm. hard, overwhelmed, um, 11 is not what I thought it would be. So I could really sense a heaviness with parents. They're really concerned about their kids. A survey um, that was done through the Victorian Education Department actually just reflected that as well, that parents are feeling more concerned and less supported in that 9 to 12-year-old bracket. And so I think parents are really reaching out for help and a little bit of guidance as to how to navigate things. Mm. Yep, okay. Graham, uh, on the road to Adelaide. G'day, Graham. Hey, mate, how are you? Not bad. <laughs> 11-year-old granddaughter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, attitude, eye-rolling, it's like, um, yeah, the pouty lips. Um, <laughs> just, she can treat her, her, her little brother, he's, what, seven, um, like crap at times. Um, obviously... Yeah, with the uh, the changes in hormonal, because that's all started, that doesn't help. Um, and obviously uh, other friends, but there's one contributing factor. Um, obviously my daughter and uh, two of my grandkids, their father, they're separated. Um, doesn't really get much help. And uh, let's put it nicely, he's a good guy. 
the rules that are at mum's house are just like thrown out the window completely. Mm. Um, yeah, it's like they come over and they, they like every second weekend, you know what I mean? Um, they're over, they want to come yeah. over, stay, and it's like, yep, and they're pushing the buttons, it's Close your head in, mate. Close your head in. <laughs> I can get that, yeah. I love it. A grandparents' role mm. in tweens' mm. life is unbelievable. What I want you to do is just act a little bit older than you are. So mm. just pretend you've got more trouble carrying the shopping bags or lose your phone. Because when kids feel needed, they get this sense of competence and it, it really does boost their self-esteem. I had one mum said to me that Colby needs Nan and Nan needs Colby. Mm. And what they were really saying is it's this match made in heaven and I think when tweens really connect with their grandparents they sometimes go to their grandparents way before they go to their parents yeah who are tweens looking to in families with older siblings it's in my experience it was you know the younger girls look up to the older girls because they want to be like them and I think that's that's been eternal <laughs> is with boys too I guess you you had two boys tell us about that in a minute who who, who are they looking to are they really are they looking to outside role models? They are more than we think they are. Really? Yeah. So parents told me that they thought they were looking to online personalities a little bit. Really? Whereas mm. tweens went, yeah, yeah, no, no, we're looking to them a lot. <laughs> and so there was quite a discrepancy in the feedback I got from parents and tweens. Interestingly, um, kids told me they went to their mums way before their dads. And what they found in their mums was that their mums gave them practical advice to help them unpack the the life challenges that were happening. Mm. So mums were more prepared to sit and listen to the friendship issues and help them get a workable, practical plan. And that's what tweens really need. They need us to help them understand and get a strategy for tomorrow. My guest is Michelle Mitchell, who is the author of Tweens, What Kids Need Now Before the Teenage Years navigating friendships and moods and technology boundaries and the road ahead. Tell us about the sort of concerning behaviours that you identified in your in your survey here. Yeah, I think some of the highly sexualised behaviours mm. are really concerning me, particularly with our girls flirting with boys older than them, um, sexy dance moves on the playground. Do they even know what they're doing? No, no they don't. They've got no idea. No, they? and no. like... Even to the point where I've been in, um, you know, grade five and six classrooms and talked to teachers that have told me, you know, group chat like broke out the day before and the teachers spent half the day sorting it out. But kids have exchanged a whole lot of rude words and swearing and 99% of these kids don't even know what these words mean. But it's this big show off time with language. I mean, development's on high speed and knowledge is power on the playground. And I think we need to be the source or someone else will in these age mm-hmm. so who are they looking to they're looking to what they're looking to the to the mother to the to the head chicken in the in the, in the playground are they well, yeah they are they've got one one foot in the camp of home though which is really exciting yeah. and then one one probably extension into where do i belong outside of the world where mm. do i belong in my peer group and that is starting to increasingly matter uh, stuff like body image really comes into play with that. Sometimes, um, you know, whether they win the trophies or not and where they see themselves in the pecking order, all of those things are a really big deal. Mm. My texter says, Hi, Phil and Michelle. We're struggling with my partner's 13-year-old daughter. Drinking, vaping, drugs, yeah. sex, really? And an overwhelming sense of entitlement, which scares us. 
Seems many kids of her age are carrying on the same. This may have, is, is this the new normal? She's never been spoiled, but her behaviour is very concerning. Any help or suggestions? Do you, do you, look, you're saying this, this kinds of behaviour you think are more common than they used to be. More common. I think a lot of parents would be listening tonight and thinking, that doesn't describe my kids at all. No. Uh, Normal but not okay. That's how I would describe that. And Mm. if we've got a 13-year-old who's treading into unsafe waters, I have never met a child who is not drowning at sea that does not want an adult to come and rescue them. Mm. So I'm saying a 13-year-old in that position, we would really need that kind of in-charge energy that enables us to be that big person in their life and actually really step in and be protective. Mm. Yes, all right. The uh, are kids. I mean, we hear this thing that kids are maturing earlier than they used to. Mind you, I kind of think that's we've always been saying this. There's conflicting we? research about that. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure that there's that actually is supported by research, is it? It there is conflicting research about it. Tell us about that. What I'd like to suggest is that we need to not see puberty as this unitary event that happens 11, 12 years old, mm. but it's rather a cascade of emotions that actually start around eight years old and they're un, under the bonnet kind of changes. Yeah. This is very well researched and supported. So there's the adrenal androgens or those hormones that start to escalate around eight years old. And they obviously the pace and the tempo of that happens differently for every child, which makes them all unique. It's this unique collision. But we not only see the physical changes that happen with puberty, but we've got to remember there's a whole bunch of emotional, social, sexual and cognitive changes that are happening. So this is a time of incredibly rapid growth, like everything's on high speed. But development can happen like a mix match Mm. at different stages and at different paces in different areas of our kids' lives. So I've seen some 13-year-old boys or 12-year-old boys who are almost six foot, but like emotionally and socially and sometimes cognitively, they're more like 10 years old. And so we've got to be really, really careful not to judge a book by its cover when it comes to this age group. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the thing about girls growing up faster than boys, I think is right. Yeah, it seemed right when our our girls were growing up. That's right, that girls were about a year and a half ahead. That's right. Yeah, which makes it so interesting in a classroom. So you mm. can look across a year five classroom and the chasm between two kids can be like, put them in totally different universes. Mm. And that can extend through to their language development and their ability to express themselves all the way through to their interests. So it's no wonder that friendships become a really big deal and, and quite complex at this age because you've got kids trying to connect, even though their development can be so diverse. Mm. Yeah, these twin years, of course, coincide with the end of primary school and the beginning of high school, don't they? Yeah. So they're letting is go that, of is, something. Is that the juncture? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's often the junction when it comes to technology. Parents mm. feel like they can hang out until their kids get to high school, and then that's probably as long as they can hang out with it. And there is a lot of change. What worries me is I think sometimes we're treating our Um, year seven kids, like they're more cognitively developed than they are. So they've got greater capacity Mm. and complex thinking that they have, and we're expecting them to be adults. And I sometimes hear in grade six classrooms, teachers almost threatening kids. You know, when you go to high school, you're going to have to grow up. So there's this push to grow up when I really think a lot of them still need to stay in that really playful childhood stage. Well, in my experience, kids spent a lot a long time growing up and in fact by the time of their mid 20s it still hasn't happened exactly right no and and that's that's okay once mm-hmm. you get a hold of that andrew from port kennedy g'day andrew 
Not bad. Um, I just wanted to mention, I found like my kids are out of that stage now, yeah. talking about, but it all, I found it changed um, when they got their phones, and like, mm. we didn't give them to them when they were 11, we waited as long as we could, which was basically high school, because they start walking home by themselves and all that, but they get the phone, the first year was alright, then they want the better phone, and then finally they got the U-Butte phone, and they just become obsessed with them, I find. Mm. Like, and it's hard, you know, because all their mates are doing the same thing. And yeah. it's just, I, I personally think, I know we can't change it now, they're here to stay, that's it. But the phone, I reckon the earlier you give the kid the phone, the harder it gets, because they just become obsessed. The eye rolling starts and the whatever starts and all that. <laughs> because they're just like, they're on the Snapchat, I think it is. And they're just constantly looking at all their mates, poking their tongue out, pulling a funny face or whatever they're doing. <laughs> that's right. Like, I'm not sure if I'm 100% right on that, but I think that's what they do, you know. Oh, yeah, what's he or she doing? And it's just... Yeah, anyway, that's my experience. Yeah, no, I think that's probably right, Andrew. Thanks, no. thanks mate. Um, you've got a chapter in your book called The Chapter You Need to Read. Which that's is, it. Which is about technology. And this is the thing. A lot of parents, you know, like really struggle with this. When when do you give, you give your kids a phone? The trouble is, of course, you never feel like it's just your decision because, you know, if if all her friends have got one or all his friends have got one, you know, what are you going to do about it? And you can't, making your kid a lost leader is pretty tough, you know? I mean, some parents might have the gumption for it, but, gee, I don't know that too many would. Yeah. And the world they're living in demands it in some way or another, so we Mm. can't fight the tide completely. No. And delaying as long as possible is the very common advice we'll get from cyber safety experts around the country, internationally, And that's what the aim is. But Mm. there comes a time where you have to eyeball the topic. And when parents actually do cross that line, there's no going back. If I can say this, try and set it up so it lasts the rockiest of the teenage years. So be unapologetic about your kids not having privacy online. Mm. Like we actually need to be a part of their online world. And that might sound like, oh, Michelle, are you serious? Is this possible? It's like, well, yes, they can go underground, but yes, we actually have to set it up in a way that helps them realise that the World Wide Web is actually a very transparent environment, that not everything they do online is going to be able to be hidden. And if that picture they send ends up on the principal's desk, um, it's because of the nature of the internet. I'm confident we understand the risks, but we just haven't found an effective way to manage it yet. No, we haven't. No, we have not. Uh, absolutely not. Uh, my texter says, there's, oh, hi, I'm a year seven teacher here. There's a massive disconnect and transition between primary and secondary. Massive. And so many struggle, particularly kids in Melbourne who lost two years of their primary schooling. Yeah, well, I can understand that. That's, that's a particular problem right now because of the, of the pandemic, I can imagine. And one of the big things I see mm. is in primary school, play is encouraged and yeah. there's a lot of variety of play. And when they get to grade six, there's this opportunity for leadership and a lot more competence and they're kind of the top of the pecking order with that as well. But hit high school, 
all of a sudden at a stage of their life where so much is changing internally, so they've got development on high speed, they also have our expectations ramping up. Mm. And not only from school, but also from sports coaches and dance teachers and possibly us at home as well. And kids can get really overwhelmed. I get really sad seeing... um, first term year seven kids saying where's the play equipment you know mm. like what do we do or we do we just have to sit around and talk at lunchtime because they're used to being childlike mm. exactly <laughs> and want to be for a bit longer was you've had a few kids in your life was oh mate i'm doing something wrong um, mate i'm i'm phil i'm i'm uh, hello michelle by the way um Phil, I'm a similar age to you. Hmm. I was a dad at 25. My oldest boy's 37. My youngest one's 11. So I've been through the whole lot. Um, I lost a brother to a drug addiction. I spoke to my two boys about drugs when they were teenagers. They looked me sternly in the face and said, Dad, why would we want to put that rubbish into our bodies? We want to play cricket. And that was their attitude. Mm-hmm. And that both boys have turned out great. My oldest daughter had a little bit of an issue with her where she actually um, ran away from home. She went down three doors to a friend's place. I went down and spoke to her. She went home 15 minutes later. Yeah. <laughs> All right? Now, I currently, I'm on my second marriage. so, And I've currently got a 14 and 11-year-old girl. Uh, the 14 year old's in year eight. She's pretty good. She's, she hasn't buckled the peer pressure in that. She's still very, um, very attached to uh, me and their mother. And um, we talk to her all the time. We, it's, we, we talk to the kids all the time. Now, the little one, the little one's even quirkier. She's, she's 11. She's more interested in the, I was told you about the horse thing before with the girls, Phil. Yeah. Heavily into horses. Now, the little one, She's got a little business going where she's making horse kits to make covers for um, horse helmets and stirrups and things like that. This kid is so driven. She's 11 years old. <laughs> Love Mate, it. I, I, I actually reckon it's a lot of us down to parenting. You need to talk to your kids. I hardly ever, ever have raised my voice with any of my kids. Um, if I do talk in a stern manner, they know that I'm, I'm serious and they're not the, not the bloody keep it up but it's all down to parenting and like Phil I'm out here every night I don't go I, I leave home at Monday at 10 o'clock in the morning I don't go home to 7 o'clock on a Saturday so I'm not at home all weekend uh, all week the wife's home with the kids alone but I speak to the two girls every single day Good on you. morning and night and say how's your how was your day how's school and they tell me about everything yeah. and um, we're going to Italy in about three or four weeks and last night I was in stitches. Me and the wife was in stitches because we're we're trying to explain what a bidet is to the kids, <laughs> and it's just it's nothing but joy. The whole the whole scenario is nothing but joy. I get it's all down to parenting, mate. I no get, matter how you look at it. Yep, was I I entirely agree with Will and and Will said too. Yeah, it is it is it is joyful. There's no question about that. You you talk in your book a lot about. Um, you know, issues that tweens have. I mean, one of them is lack of confidence. Pretty pretty much all the parents you spoke to told you that um, there were issues with self-esteem and confidence, and that was one of their most pressing concerns. So and you, you asked parents in your, 
in your survey, what challenges their tween was currently facing. Every single parent said, 100% of the respondents said that self-esteem and confidence was their most pressing concern. You've given us some audio of two tweens that you spoke to about confidence. All right, let's hear from Harley first. So one, so one day there were these tests that the council, the principal, nearly like everyone was going to know our marks and was to know it was to keep us on track of where, uh, of how good we are. And I was really nervous because I thought that if I failed, I would let everyone down. So, yeah. Yeah, well... Isn't he gorgeous? That's him talking about NAPLAN, and Harley is actually incredibly good at maths. Uh, so he's feeling the pressure of it. Wow, I know. You want to protect them from it, and you know you kind of can't, but you, gee, you want to, don't you? And then, then there's, there's Bella. By the way, permission's been granted at all levels for these yeah. to be used, by the way, so we're not intruding on anyone's um, on privacy or personal space here. I do dancing, and I was about to go on stage for in Stedford, but I lost my confidence just before I went on. Um, it was sort of hard to decide whether I wanted to tell a teacher and maybe sit off for the dance um, or go on and not let the team down. Um, and then once I told the teacher, she said, you've got this, and I, that brought my confidence back. Isn't that beautiful? Oh. I know. Oh. You can really hear them, can't you? Their heart's just there. Yeah. They're at a stage where they're actually starting to do what we call perspective taking or understand the mind of someone else, which is actually pretty overwhelming for them because they actually start to get feedback and understand that people you know, can judge them and mm. have opinions about them. And that can be really, really overwhelming. It can almost burst their bubble a little bit, Philip, too, because they've got this overinflated idea of themselves when they're younger. I mean, they can fly to the moon and back with their paper wings they built before mm. close of, you know, mm. business. Mm. But then all of a sudden they're getting feedback, they're getting test results, um, and and they're now having to perform. I think it's so important that we're separating their worth from their performance um, and that we're helping them accept feedback in a way that's not going to crumble them or... Um, they're not rejecting it completely. So we're just having realistic and balanced yeah. conversations. We've got to, that's right. We've got, to get, we've got to get some sort of happy medium here so where they get the feedback because they've got to know what their levels are and abilities are mm-hmm. and what they could. Now, that, the confidence part is what they could be. But they really, you can't lie to them about where they're at. You can't shelter them from reality yeah. because what you're doing then is making the you're journey and finding themselves longer, isn't it? You're setting themselves up for, you know, some really okay. bad things to happen to them yeah. if, you, if you're telling them they're always fantastic. And when... they can be everything they were made to be. It's this mm. beautiful, unique blueprint that they've got that we want them to explore. And sometimes they have to try on a lot of hats and try and be like everyone else and experience a bit of failure within that for them to be able to find themselves. Mm. Baz from Rocky. G'day, Baz. G'day. How are you, Phil? Not too bad, Baz. You've got? Did you Mate. say you've got triplets? Yeah, I've got triplet daughters that turn uh, 12 in May. Hey. You're a legend. <laughs> and, uh, oh, <laughs> really. Um, I lost my wife uh, about three years ago to cancer. Oh, no. And... Look, I've just turned 70, okay? Mm. And 
When my wife was dying, like the last six or eight weeks, um, she always said to the girls, the best friend you're ever going to have in your life is your dad. Right? Uh, and when May passed away, um, and the girls all came to me, and we became so united. Mm. Now, uh, they go to school, uh, something comes up that they don't quite understand. I sit down with them. They, they come to me and tell me. I sit down with them and I talk to them. Mm. And all three of them together. Yeah. Well, that's what you want to be doing, Baz. I mean, that's what you want to be doing. Yeah, when our kids experience a big uh, loss or grief or trauma, Mm. and thanks for sharing that, Baz. Mm. That's Mm. that's just a massive thing in their lives and in your lives. But when our kids do experience that at this stage Mm. in their lives when there's so much going on in their their world anyway, it's so important that they get our wholehearted support and – you being able to step up and do that and be that and help give language to what they're experiencing is is so important. Can we talk about sex for a bit? Because I mean, this feels a bit kind of yucky with little kids. I know, I know. Because I mean, but at the same time, once you've given them a phone, you've given them the internet, and this is the problem, isn't it? Because... And may I say this? Um, we know the risks on the internet, right? Oh, totally. And if we don't think they're old enough to talk to them about pornography and pedophiles, are they old enough to be online? No, no. And sometimes parents sort of brag to me and say, well, I don't let them go on TikTok, but they're on YouTube all the time. And I don't know if you've been on YouTube lately, but what they can find and the rabbit holes they can go down on YouTube are pretty full well, on. Well, of course. I mean, everywhere on the internet, this is, you can't insulate kids from it and you can't silo kids from it we once, do you, our once best. you've given. Yeah. I know, but this yeah. is just a thing in their lives now. So, mm-hmm. And it wasn't a thing for previous generations, but no. it is for these kids. Yeah. So, and- so what, what, what do you do about this? You can't have a full-blooded conversation about sex with a 10-year-old, can you? Yeah, you can. Can you? Yeah, but... What do you, the, what the, do you say? The trick is, is to make sure the language is age-appropriate mm. and takes into consideration their cognitive development. And mm. if I can just explain this, it'll make so much sense. Piaget was the first one. He's a theorist. Mm who identified that children were not little adults, but they thought completely differently than adults. And he recognized that children thought in very concrete and literal and rigid ways and that they needed to hinge new information on ideas that they already understood and they always try to link it to their family values. So in a lot of ways, this age is the best time to talk to our kids about puberty and where babies come from and Um, body safety and all those big topics because they're at a place where their hearts are really open to the values that go with that. Mm. Tell us about the day you were driving with your son and there was an interview with a trombone player on the radio. Oh, that's hilarious. Yes. Um, he was on ABC, actually. Mm-hmm. And of course. Yeah, of you course. You wouldn't be listening to anything else. <laughs> that's right. And I was expecting to be, you know, very suitable for my... 12-year-old boy, mm-hmm. and um, the interviewer said, oh, you must have wonderful life as a trombonist, and the trombonist said, yeah, it's really great, and he said, but it's the guitarist who get laid, right? 
And I quickly sort of just changed the station or turned the knob thinking, oh, he doesn't even know what that means. And out of the corner of my eye, I caught him smirking. And I thought to myself, oh, look, I'm behind the times here. And our kids can change so quickly, hear things on the playground. Was he learning the guitar? Yeah, and he was the guitarist. Yeah, he was learning the guitar. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know. And then you're in a situation where you're thinking to yourself, you know, we always see our kids as children, but sometimes they're exposed to things and hearing things and understand things. We can be walking two steps behind them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the same time, they are kind of light years away, really, aren't they, from what the reality of all this is? We layer it over time. Yeah. Yeah. So we give them what they need at that moment. So do we do what we do with little kids, which is which is answer all questions? Yeah. Answer all questions with age-appropriate answers. That's exactly right. And then as they ask more questions, we've got to realise that if they're asking the question, they need the information. And if we aren't the source, someone else will be. So it's just really important that even if it feels awkward or too much, that we're doing our best to step into that space in the best way we can. Mm. I love some of the common questions that <laughs> tweens asked you. Crack up, eh? <laughs> yeah, if a baby's in a mum's stomach, where does the food go? Because <laughs> they're not understanding the difference. We tell kids babies Actually, are in mum's stomach. That's a reasonable question. It makes total it? sense, doesn't it? They're not understanding it's a completely different organ of the body. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you need to leave the penis and the vagina until the sperm reaches the egg? Oh, so cute. I Was mean, that a question? That's yeah. a literal. And one little, and one, oh. I've had many boys ask me that question. Mm. And some boys look at me like, like how long? Like they're rigid, they're concrete. They're like, tell me exactly, like, tell me how long it has to be there. And, you know, like they have no idea really, but they're trying to just, you know. And so many little girls come to me and go, is there any other way? Like any other way? (laughs) (laughs) I think in a few years' time they probably won't be asking me that, but yeah. (laughs) Is there any other way? Because this way I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. I'm not going down that road. (laughs) I always tell them if you don't want this to happen to your body, you never have to. Sex is always something. That's your choice. Yeah. Mm. I love this one. What have actors who had sex got pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how do you answer that one? Which one was it? Sorry. What if actors who had sex, actors who had sex got pregnant? Yeah, that's exactly right. So I guess you're talking about contraception. You're talking about um, safety measures in, in terms of that, that kids can understand. Um, kids hear the word condom. So it's actually pretty important before they go to high school that, they explain that, you know. Mm, mm. That's right, particularly with boys who probably feel as though because of what they're reading and seeing and there's all this expectation that they should feel these things. But, of course, they don't necessarily. No. Neither do girls. And I really love that because not all kids are experiencing the degree of sexual feelings that we might no. assume or... They feel, they feel about body changes. That's right. Yeah. And it's different for every child. Mm. And I actually feel quite compassionate with our boys sometimes because I can see just the respect and the compassion with a 12-year-old year seven boy, yet they'd be talking taught about consent and they're starting to hear about males being talked about in a way that is disrespectful when it comes to relationships. And I think Mm. we almost need to safeguard that a little bit, that that's not all men. That's a very small percent of men and that they can grow up to be good, strong, respectful men. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Why, why, Why do kids get mean to each other? 
in it starts in tweens, doesn't it? It oh, well, well pretty, girl, girls grade get, four girls, and grade girls, five, girls it ramps mean, up, man. Girl, girls get mean to each other. That really, really mm. mean. Like not just a little bit mean. Mm. Feel like really mean. I mean, some of the stuff that I hear in primary school, I think to myself, my goodness. There's that competition, I think, that kicks in. They start to realise that there is a pecking order. They're starting to perspective tag, like we talked about, Mm. and they're starting to want to sort of push and shove and find themselves a little bit more. And that that creates problems. Um, Changing friendship groups is really typical at this age as well. And because of that, there can be a lot of hurt feelings and and messy transitions that happen, which can be really difficult. Mm. One three hundred eight hundred triple two lines are free if you want to share your experience or ask a question. Kate from Ballarat. Hi, Kate. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm well. I just thought you were talking about older children, you know, sort of in the vicinity of 10, 11, 12 and beyond. Mm. And I have a two and a half, almost three-year-old granddaughter. Mm-hmm. Now, we talk about children and how many times when they're very little, they don't filter their comments because they don't know how to filter. Mm-hmm. It just comes out how it sounds to them. Yeah. So she has twin baby sisters uh, who were four months old, just turned four months old. And when sometimes my granddaughter gets a bit upset and trying to communicate, she doesn't use her words. She gets all sort of noisy and wah wah And we say, use your words, Neve. Use your words and we can help you. If you need, don't use your words, we can't help you. Spooched along a couple of weeks and one of the twins was crying and I went to go in and put her dummy in or something and Neve comes out and she said, oh, good, nan, nan. Oh, good, put Elliot's dummy in. I said, oh, good on you. Well done. And I said to Elliot, use your words, Elliot. I'll help you use your words. This is a two-and-a-half-year-old telling a four-month-old to use her words. And I said, well, that can't happen, love, because she doesn't know words yet. She's not grown up like you, and, and nor is Wilkie, which is the other twin. Hmm. And she said, oh, they've got to go back. <laughs> they've um, got to go back. And that is out of the mouth of a two-and-a-half-year-old. <laughs> they've got to go back. You're doing a gorgeous job. I think when the kids get overwhelmed and just flooded with these emotions, especially when they're tweens, they can be quite illogical. Like it can kind of hit them with a a really big gust and they Mm. can just end up kind of collapsing with it because they don't have that, um, you know, that processing going on to help balance that. But I think helping them ask for what they need and identify what they need and realize that the adults in their world are actually there to help them and not fight against them can be can be helpful. I think she thought they were broken. <laughs> Thanks, Kate. <laughs> Thanks, Kate. Good on you. Bye-bye. one three hundred eight hundred triple two. Do you think that kids are losing social skills and relationship skills? I mean, you hear this a lot, don't you? Because everyone says, oh, this, you know, they've got their head stuck in their phones all the time, that, they, that we... That we not 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 socialising them out of skills, but they are losing some of these skills of actually how, knowing how to get on with each other. I'm not sure about that. What do you think? I think the little ones have not got their head in their phones so much that they're losing their social mm. skills in that way. What I do know is that the Australian Youth Survey has identified that 53% of our young people are saying they feel lonely. And actually... To me, it's sort of surprising given the amount of time they're investing in their online profiles and their online life compared to their actual in-person friendships. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really encouraging kids with the social skills they need now before the teenage years and helping them understand what a valuable friend should look like and how they can show up for each other um, Mm. in that way as well. Mm. 
I think graciousness is lost in our society a whole lot, especially with their online life. And I think if they realise that they need to leave margin for error with people and that they need to leave room for people to make mistakes and they need to maybe not hang on so tightly for what they need, but realise that sometimes space solves most things in friendships and mm. just be a little gracious with each other could go a long way. Mm. You've got two sons. I do. They rock. They're the best, Philip. Well, of course they I are. love them. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know what almost every parent thinks this. <laughs> Absolutely everyone does. Yeah. What are they have they read the book? What do yeah. they think about it? My beautiful twenty four year old read it from start to finish. Didn't mm. ask him to, he did it off his own back. Mm-hmm. Um I've got a few stories of him in the book, particularly because he came to me to unpack and revisit some of his tween years. He hit puberty pretty hard, about eleven. He grew about a foot in a year. Mm. And he recalls thinking that we changed overnight and he don't didn't didn't know what happened to us. And he said, looking back, he finds that quite funny. But in the time, that's genuinely how he thought that we had changed. Mm. Yeah, so it's it's an interesting one talking to young adult kids about their tween years and how they felt about it. But it's a, it's a big memory building time for them. The things that we do with our kids during those years when we're exhausted, you know, those goodnight tucks that go mm. on and on forever and being the soccer coach and listening to their stories at the end of the day and all those things, you know, cooking late at night with them, teaching them how to, you know, change a tire in a car or knit or crochet because that's what they're into. Those things are the memories that actually are like a string that sort of brings them back to us. And it's so, so beautiful talking to a a young adult about their favourite memories in that season of their life, their most treasured moments with us that have stayed in their minds and in their hearts. Mm. Bronwyn, uh, one of my texters, makes a good point, actually. She said too many parents themselves have got their nose in their phones and not tuning into kids. Well, look, that's a point. That's a big point. I would not say... I wouldn't lump it all on kids. No, not you know, at all. Kids come plenty, to me plenty after. Plenty of 50-year-olds have their noses in their phone all the time. Absolutely. Kids come to me after presentations all the time and they say, can I talk to you? And when I say, look, I'd love you to talk to your mum or parents mm. about this, you know what they say to me? I don't know when a good time is because they're always busy. And I think we've got to make sure that our kids know the times of the day where we're most accessible and make sure that we don't have our phones with us all the time. I was talking to a parent on the weekend actually about about this and she said I had to negotiate with my son. She said, because I really, she said, I, I just find sport really boring. She said, <laughs> she said but he's, so in, she, said, she said he's into it. So mm-hmm. uh, I had to negotiate with him. So I said, well, you know, what about if I, can I bring my laptop? Um, and, and he said, well, no, because you've done that and all you do is sit there looking at your laptop. You're not looking at me, mm-hmm. you know, which is the reason you're supposed to be there. And she said, well, okay, what about, uh, what about, my, and he said, you've got to leave your phone in your pocket. I love put, this. And she said, okay, what about, I'll leave my phone in my pocket, but I, but I, could, I could wear some headphones. <laughs> and he kind of was sensing defeat or, or some sort of compromise coming. He yeah. said, okay, he said, if that's it, but I would prefer you didn't. Oh, I love it. <laughs> do you know when you ask a tween, what do you want to do? Their answer is 
anything with you. And if I can say anything mm. for parents, like that's not going to last forever. No. We've got we've got to capitalize on this while it's here because a few years time and they may not be wanting to spend every moment with us. I remember the night that my husband said to my son, are you ready for your good night tuck? Mm. And my son fired back at him, no, dad, I'll be right. And Without the slightest of hesitation, my husband goes, I'll be up in a minute. Now, we'd been whinging about tucking this kid in for 11 years, you know, like we were over it. And who would have thought we would be the one trying to keep the routine alive? (laughs) That's the thing. Keep in mind, that's right, that although this separation is going on, it's a very gradual thing and kids actually want to be, they don't want you going away, Not, not, not for one second. Yeah. All right. You leave us with a with a, a closing thought. You say that what parents invest at this stage will have a great impact on the person that they will become in 10 years' time. Yeah. I think they're, that's true, isn't it? They're yeah. particularly moldable. They're particularly responsive to mm. us and the environments that we put around them. Mm. And research really says that what we do right now can change the trajectory of those adolescent years, and that is so powerful. Mm. Not one ounce of the love you offer them will ever be wasted. Yeah. Yeah. Among the tiresome, seemingly never-ending pressures of our current world, don't forget to make some memories. Yeah. Yeah. We're stealing time from somewhere, Philip. Like Uh, the time that we used to sit on the couch Saturday afternoon and just have our own moment. Now we're running kids around and we're, Dad, can you do this with me? Mum, can you do this with me? None of it will ever be lost and if we can have the attitude of just for now always say yes as much as we can say yes because it won't last forever good to speak with you michelle it's been really fun appreciate it good on you you've been listening to a nightlife podcast for more great conversations about the issues that impact you as well as features on travel and food head to the nightlife webpage you'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.